Podcast brought to you by the Mary Christie Institute, a thought leadership organization dedicated to the behavioral health and well being of teens and young adults. We have a particular focus on college students. I'm Marjorie Malpedi, the executive director of the Mary Christie Institute. And I'm Dana Humphrey, the associate director of the Mary Christie Institute, and we're the hosts of the podcast. Hello, I'm Dana Humphrey. Today on the Quadcast, we'll be discussing some new research on the mental health and well-being of young professionals. Our guest for this conversation is a Quadcast veteran at this point. Dr. Sarah Lipson is an assistant professor in the Department of Health, Law, Policy, and Management at the Boston University School of Public Health and co-principal investigator of the National Healthy Minds Study. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Dana. Thank you. So just to set the stage a bit before we get into the findings, MCI partnered with Healthy Minds as well as the American Association of Colleges and Universities and the National Association of Colleges and Employers to survey just over a thousand working adults between the ages of 22 and 28. So young workers with at least a bachelor's degree about their mental well-being and experiences around mental health in the workplace and in the transition from their college experience to their careers. We know a lot about the college student population and their mental health, in large part because of the work that you have done, Sarah, over the past seven to 10 years. We've just amassed a lot of data about this group, and we didn't know as much about what happens once these students graduate and enter into the workforce. So I'll stop there in terms of stage setting. I'd like to just start by asking you why we need to be looking at this population. Yeah. So as you mentioned, we have this large body of data from college students. And what we've seen in terms of mental health prevalence is a really dramatic increase in prevalence over the past 10 or so years, particularly starting around 2016 or so. And so that timeline really aligns with students who are graduating right at the turn of the pandemic or are entering the workforce in these years that we've captured in our most recent survey together. And so you're absolutely right. We just know so little about students after they graduate, once they become young professionals. And we know still that this age range is very vulnerable in terms of the epidemiological onset of mental health problems. We know about 75% of lifetime mental health problems will onset by around age 25. So after students leave college is still, you know, a really, a really vulnerable time. It's also another huge life transition out of college into the workforce, new autonomy, new schedule, new social networks, just this transition that's received so much less attention and still has really important implications from a public health perspective, has important implications in terms of the opportunities for colleges and universities to be better preparing their graduates for professional success. And of course, as we'll talk about implications for employers in terms of what they are doing to 
support their young professionals in their workplace. And you have done work on the college side of things about the relationship between mental health issues and retention, staying at school, staying at colleges, and the return on investment that that colleges and universities can get when they invest in mental health services. Obviously, we didn't cover that in this survey, but some of those connections between employee retention and mental well-being, you can see hints at in, in our data. So with that, I think we can start talking through some of the findings. And I wonder if you could just quickly highlight what you think are some of the most important pieces of data that we learned. Yeah, absolutely. So we found in this survey of young professionals that more than half of respondents say that they needed help for emotional or mental health problems in the past year. More than 40% screened positive for symptoms of anxiety and about a third for symptoms of depression. So quite a high prevalence of reported needs as well as symptoms. Also very importantly, particularly when we think about, you know, this is, this is a young group. This is a group that is new in their career. And more than half of them reported feeling burnout at least once per week. So burnout defined as a state of prolonged physical and psychological exhaustion, which is perceived as related to the person's work. So to think of these young professionals early in their career already experiencing this burnout is a a really worrisome finding as we think about their long-term trajectories and as we think about employers and their ability, as you said, to retain their employees. So I think burnout was a really key finding from this. More than a third, close to 40% of young professionals say that the environment at their workplace is negatively affecting their own well-being as well as the, the mental health of their colleagues. So that's, you know, I think a really big challenge for us to be aware of. About half say that their work environment has taken a negative toll on their own mental health in the previous year, from the college side, what we see in these data is that about 40% of respondents say that they don't feel like their college really helped them to prepare for the emotional transition to the workplace. So we can talk about what that means in terms of implications for career readiness and what we're doing for for students as they prepare to graduate. So, so I think a big implication there for colleges and universities Many young professionals are looking for more support from their workplace for mental health. I think this is a, you know, a generation, a, a group of young professionals who have grown up, and this is a good thing in a, in a time when we talk about mental health, where mental health is something that is really at the forefront of the communication that they're receiving, you know, throughout their education and now in the workplace. About half of them say that mental health doesn't feel like a priority at their workplace. So that's that I think is a, is a very key finding. About 60% say that their workplace should be investing more in mental health resources and, and female employees, closer to two thirds of them saying that their, their workplace should be investing more. These are such rich data. So I don't want to overwhelm us with too many key points, but just a few final ones. So in terms of we asked respondents about whether they've interacted with colleagues and with supervisors about mental health, and almost half of young professionals say that they would reach out to the supervisor if they had a mental health problem that they thought was affecting their academic performance. However, 
a vast majority of, of young professionals say that their supervisor has never or rarely reached out to them about their mental well-being. So when we pair that with the first finding I shared that over half of, of young professionals perceive that they've needed help for their mental health in the past year, and then about two-thirds of them have never had their supervisor reach out to them about their mental health, there's clearly a gap there, or really what it points to, I think, is an opportunity for supervisors to be more aware and more proactive in reaching out to their young professionals about mental health. Thanks, Sarah. There was another point in there, which is when these young professionals did report reaching out to somebody at their workplace about mental health, they like overwhelmingly rep- reported a positive response. So it's not that these conversations ha- are largely negative. It's just that they might not be happening as much as they need to be or should be. I want to ask you about an interesting finding about Black respondents who actually reported overall better mental health than their peers, but also were less likely to report that they felt part of a community at work and also less likely to say they had colleagues who would support them if they were struggling with their mental health. To me, this sort of rang some alarm bells that kind of mirror what we see happening at colleges and universities, particularly like primarily white institutions that black students and students of color generally have lower levels of belonging. And I just wondered if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really glad that you underscored this finding. You're absolutely right. So the the black respondents were significantly less likely to feel like they're a part of their work community relative to their white peers. And they were less likely to say that they have colleagues who would support them if they were struggling. I think this really has implications for for white employees. You know, we we are the the majority in these settings and we have a responsibility to to try to address this. That's a really large disparity that that the black respondents are not feeling like they're a part of their work community. And you're right that it's kind of parallel to the lower levels of belonging that we see among BIPOC college students. And it seems like that is translating, transferring into the workplace environment as well. And so I don't think the implications of this fall to employees of color. I think they it falls to white employees, particularly white employees who are in positions of power, supervisors, managers, but also peers to, to recognize that, um, that their colleagues of color are feeling less a part of the work community. And there's a lot of literature around what it looks like to be an inclusive workplace environment. And there's no one size fits all approach. But I think the takeaway is that there are implications for every single one of us. A workplace community is not really defined by one individual. It's defined by an entire group, an entire population that is working together. And so I think the first step, and I'm glad that we have these data, is to see that like in so many other populations, like in college students, like in older professionals or in just adult populations overall, that we're seeing that that Black respondents are feeling less belonging, feeling less supported by their colleagues. And this is true among young professionals in this group that is really starting out in their career. We know how important it is to have peer networks, to have those 
supportive relationships. Those have been the most valuable things for me in terms of promoting my professional success. And so to know that these the levels are so much lower among Black respondents as they're starting out their career is likely to affect entire career trajectories in the, in the long term. And so I think that is kind of one of the most urgent findings from this study. Thanks, Sarah. And I, I love that you mentioned the role of peers and colleagues because you had talked about the number that said they would turn to a supervisor if they had a mental health issue they thought was affecting their work. There were also high numbers for other colleagues the same age as me, a mentor, a colleague on my team. Generally, young professionals report that they would turn to a lot of people that they work with if they were experiencing a a mental health issue. In fact, I think only 13% said they would not talk to anybody at work about that issue. And so it's definitely important for us to be thinking about creating that community of care workplaces that we have talked about for years creating on college campuses. So we talked a lot about all of these different data pieces. I wonder if there's anything that was like a big surprise to you. I am surprised in a way by how consistent the findings are with some of the trends that we've seen in the on the college side. So just how consistent they are in terms of in the college setting, we know how much financial stress is a negative predictor of students' mental health, their academic persistence and retention. And we see in this survey financial stress as a hugely negative predictor of young professionals' mental health and well-being, as well as their burnout, their pers- their intentions to, to stay at their place of employment. So I was just struck by how consistent those findings are from a college setting to a workplace setting, such consistency there. I think someone who may be less familiar with the state of mental health among adolescents and young adults could be really surprised by some of the indicators that really point to low levels of stigma or real openness in the survey of young professionals. We ask them what you would want in terms of taking advantage of mental health resources through your employer. And the vast majority of young professionals say that they want to have these conversations. They want to take advantage of mental health days. They want training. There really isn't that barrier of of kind of stigma in the way that we've thought about it for so long. So I think young professionals, and really that gives me a lot of optimism and hope. These are people who are going to go on themselves to be supervisors and be able to shape workplace environments. And they are not, by and large, bringing levels of stigma around mental health. They are aware of their own mental health in a way that I think some older populations aren't, that self-awareness around mental health. And they have a language for talking about mental health and they want to prioritize their mental health if their if their workplace environments give them the opportunity to do so. I think all of that really points to opportunities to more rapidly accelerate a culture shift in workplace environments following the lead of these young professionals who are so open to talking about mental health and for whom their mental health is such an important predictor of their workplace productivity and their likelihood of staying at their job. So I think that maybe folks who are new to thinking about adolescent and young adult mental health could be surprised by that or perhaps make an assumption that there are high levels of stigma or not wanting to talk about these things. And maybe supervisors who are listening to this or reading our report 
who were not aware of that could maybe have their eyes opened to realize some of your youngest employees are really potentially folks who could lead the way in terms of shaping conversations around mental health and well-being in workplaces. Yeah, I have to say, I was actually surprised by some of these policies and programs that young professionals said they would be interested in accessing through their work, like mental health support groups, mental health events, mental health training. I think it's very surprising and encouraging that these young people are willing and ready to sort of hop in the ring and talk about these issues at work. So let's talk about what employers can do with this information. We've touched on it a little bit throughout the conversation, but I think there are some real takeaways for both colleges and employers. And let's start with the employers because there is a lot here for them. So I think a, a very key implication is is sort of getting back to what we were just talking about around young professionals wanting to not separate their mental health from their work. I mean, it, it can't be right. We're, we bring our whole selves to to work in the same way that we bring our whole selves as students into classroom environments, and it's not productive to to just think of students as learners, they're full people. And likewise, employees are not just there doing their work. They're also people who are experiencing financial stress, personal challenges, many different challenges, particularly for this group that has overcome, you know, so much just turmoil. If we think of, you know, I mentioned 2016 as a really key turning point in our college data. We think about social media, we think about political changes and trauma and of course the pandemic financial stress all of that we're not doing young professionals any favors by trying to brush that under the table we instead need to be really proactive about saying that we prioritize mental health and the benefits of that as we talked about for employers are, are huge if we ignore that and we don't prioritize employee well-being employees are not going to be as productive during their time there, and they're not going to stay as long. So the time that we, quote unquote, take away from work to to prioritize mental health is really actually going to be a huge benefit to productivity and to retaining players. I think there's a lot of positive indications that, that I hope players will take away from this in terms of the opportunity to really follow the lead of young professionals in prioritizing mental health conversations and destigmatizing. It's also a really good sign that young professionals, many of them see their supervisors as, as people that they would be open to discussing their well-being with. And not just if you're in a crisis, not just when it comes to a point where it's dramatically affecting your work, but just checking in, just knowing that young professionals want a supervisor who cares about them as as a person and just how much they value that I think has a lot of implications for the way that employers can can approach working with and mentoring young professionals. Young professionals also indicate that they really want more support for their mental health, whether that be in benefit packages or within the workplace in terms of programs. And they're really eager to participate in these types of programs, as we mentioned. And so Raising awareness of the existing mental health resources and programs is one key step. Bringing young professionals into these conversations to figure out, because again, there's not one size 
fits all, right? It's going to look different if you're in a an engineering environment or if you're in a banking financial environment, if you're in an academic research environment, there's you know just so many nuances to this. But young professionals, as we saw in these data, really have a lot to tell us about their needs and preferences. So I encourage employers as well to really leverage the voice of young professionals and helping to decide where the most important investments are. And that's also really where we can underscore these issues around equity and elevating the voices of young professionals of color who can help to point to what do they need to feel safe and supported and like they belong at their workplace. And I don't mean to say that these things have easy solutions, but there's, there just seems to be a lot of opportunity to try to shape workplace environments to be more conducive to where young professionals are already at, which is a high level of knowledge and awareness and comfort around mental health, as well as an awareness of the factors that negatively affect the, their own mental health and well-being. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about this because I do think there are so many overlaps with the higher education environment. And hearing you talk about the young professionals wanting their supervisors to see them as whole people, wanting their employers to see them as whole people, it really echoes, I think, conversations that we've had around faculty and urging faculty to just be empathetic humans and treat their college students as people. And that's part of a strategy for just lifting up mental well-being on college campuses. It just is so interesting to me, the similarities here. But I'd like to turn to colleges. There is a smaller amount of data for them in this report, but there are some significant pieces, as you've mentioned. What can colleges do with these pieces of data, this information that students might not feel emotionally prepared for the transition to the workplace? What can college administrators do? So I'm really looking forward to, obviously, these are data that are fresh off the press, and I'm hoping this is going to generate a lot of dialogue. And I think there are campus leaders who will likely be able to talk about some of the best practices that they've implemented in terms of kind of preparing students for this transition to the workplace. So I don't want to say anything that sounds like none of this is already happening because I think there are institutions that are that are really prioritizing this. And I think MCI will be, we are bringing together so many campus leaders in terms of the president's convening and other events that will happen in 2023 that will be such a good opportunity to talk more about this question of what can colleges be doing. There's been a real, I think, lack of connection between college to the workplace. From my perspective as a researcher, oftentimes the funding is based on you're in school. It's based on the setting that you're in. So it really stops when students graduate and we don't know what happens with them, as you said, as they transition to the workplace or the opposite. We only know about what their experiences in the workplace are doing or what they're experiencing in the workplace. And something that's so unique about these survey data is that if they're recent college graduates and we're asking them explicitly about how college prepared them. And so what our data show is that most of these young professionals feel like their college really didn't prepare them as well as they would have hoped 
for the transition to the workplace, which again, doesn't mean that there aren't many schools that are doing this work really well. And I'm looking forward to learning more from campus leaders who have prioritized this as well as hopefully some new initiatives that will take shape based on these findings. But I think some broad implications for colleges and universities recognizing building off of the findings from this survey is the transition out of college is one that has received a lot less attention than the transition into college. And it's also an enormously developmentally consequential and monumental transition. I can even think to my own college career, coming out of college, I I really was stunned by that transition. I was also a college athlete. So I went from this very, very regimented schedule with practices and exactly when I was in the library and in classes, and then suddenly all of that stopped and I was job searching. And once I finally found a job, there's just a lot that happens in those one to five, six years out of college that I think you can feel a little bit like a fish out of water. And so doing things like alumni panels, bringing back young professionals who can help talk to two recent college graduates, bringing in these types of initiatives into living learning communities. We also know, of course, in our conversations about college student mental health, we talk a lot about bringing important information resources into students' default daily routines. So rather than expecting them proactively to go to career services for this type of information and training, actually taking responsibility as institutions to bring this training into the default daily routines of students. And in many ways, that involves bringing this type of education and resources, the emotional intelligence that's going to be required for success in the workplace, bringing that into classroom environments, particularly classes that have upper year students, juniors, seniors, those who are going to be graduating very soon, and trying to help prepare them for that earlier than graduation week, which of course, I say that with a little bit of a chuckle because I know how much, you know, initiatives of career services have expanded over the last decade or so. And there's a lot of innovative work going on. But I think these data really point to a need for more and more ways of reaching every single student. And I think classroom environments are really the setting where we can reach every student. Yeah, I think those are all great suggestions. And thank you for talking a bit about your own experience graduating college because it made me think about mine. And I think we can all sort of remember that feeling of being a fish out of water. That is a really good expression to use in the first few years out of college. And, you know, even if you have a job, really adjusting to what that is like, it is a huge transition and definitely, I think, warrants more research. You mentioned some of the differences that you might see between different industries. Finance is going to be different than academic research. And we did not have the numbers to look at those, but we think it's really important that some of that is is looked into in the future and that future research will focus on that as well as some of these other small groups that we didn't have the numbers to look at. We've talked about like LGBTQ young professionals. So definitely more research is warranted. Sarah, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the quadcast. And thank you so much for all of your hard work on this survey. It has been a lot, but as always a labor of love. And we're so happy to have the opportunity to share it publicly. Absolutely. Thank you, Dana. And I'm really excited to continue these conversations. This has been The Quadcast, a program of the Mary Christie Institute. 
To learn more about our work, go to marychristieinstitute.org, where you can sign up for our other programs, like the MC Feed and the Mary Christie Quarterly. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening.